I just want to ask that you open your hearts and your, your ears tonight and just not trust me, but trust the Holy Spirit that he will um, impart and um, that, you know, every, everything that comes from his mouth and that is in scripture is, is for all of us. And um, so this, this is based on scripture. So um, just, yeah, come with a, a willing heart to, to hear and be imparted to. So um, I'm just going to start with a picture that God gave me. Um, I recommitted my life to Jesus and gave my heart to him in 2005. And it was, it was very soon after that that, um, that I had this thought. Um, I, I can't tell you if it was a dream or if it was um, a moment or what it was, but, but it was this time where I was sitting, I was with Jesus, and it was the end of my earthly life. And he was showing me my life like it was a movie. And, you know, I'm, I'm seeing some awesome moments and I'm seeing some moments that, you know, weren't so great. And while I can't see Jesus like this, um, his very presence is making me a tad giddy, a tad excited, uh, a little nervous, but mostly in awe. But um, what really stuck out was just how present he was throughout my life how present and faithful he was to me in every moment. Um, but at the same time, when, when this did give me a sense of thank you, God, gratefulness, praise, uh, joy, I also had a sense of regret. <clears throat> and it was a, a, a regret that because I wasn't aware of his presence and his faithfulness at times in my life on earth, I actually missed out on opportunities to partner with him and to, to see him in things where, where I could have missed it, um, that I missed out on opportunities of knowing him more, trusting him more, uh, partnering, with, partnering with him, where so many days and years and opportunities in my, my earthly life, I could have obtained him more. I could have trusted him more. And um, that feeling of regret and of missing out, of obtaining more of him in my earthly life, actually had become a little unbearable. But mostly I walked away from that moment going, every scene of my life is equally and eternally significant. That, that when I am face to face with him one day, there will, there will be a sense of what I did with my earthly life. And so, um, at the time, I thought this was a bit weird, but uh, just as I go on, it's, it, and as I go into this message, it's, it's made more sense to my heart now. And he's good like that. He's faithful. You know, he, he does this in our, in our relationship with him, and I'm sure there'll still be times in your lives when he will pop something up and you'll be like, that's why. That's why you brought that into the lights. And at the time, I didn't understand, but there you are. So, with this in mind, I want to look at a, script, a scripture that, to me, unlocks the very heart of God to be one with his disciples and the purpose of his bride. And so, I've called this message, as you heard, the vine and its wine. And um, if you can see the message in three parts, it might just be a little bit easier to follow because I am doing a lot of scripture uh, referencing, and so it would just help to see it as... Uh, the vine, I'm going to talk on the vine, and then the grapes, and then the wine, which is fun. 
<laughs> so if you can turn with me to John 15, please, and we're going to look at the true vine. I'm just going to read it out. I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that, bear, that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit of itself and is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. When I read this scripture, I hear this desire for oneness, uh, for intimacy, for obedience, uh, and I also hear juicy ripe grapes and lots of joyous wine. And so just to start with, Jesus says to his disciples, I am the true vine. Now, why did he say this? And what did this mean to the disciples of the time? So I'm just going to quickly give us some background. The image of the vine was a rich one for the Jews since the land of Israel was um, covered by, by vineyards, um, numerous ones. Uh, the vine was also used to represent Jerusalem on coins that were made uh, during the Jewish revolts. And so the vine was clearly the symbol of Israel, but it also had these re uh, religious connotations to it as well. Uh, the prophet Isaiah spoke of the house of Israel as the vineyard of the Lord, and Jeremiah said that God had planted Israel as its choice vine. While the vine became a symbol of Israel as a nation, it was also used um, as a symbol in the scriptures as a sign of degeneration. And so Israel was under the care of the father, who was the gardener of this vineyard, um, and even though it was under the care of God, it still was. It was. It came. It it, it still yielded wild grapes and came. Uh, was known for this, and these uh, wild grapes looked like um, selfishness, injustice, idolatry. And while Israel was supposed to be this nation that was going to witness to other nations, uh, it. It yielded fruit that was completely foreign and wild to the, the DNA and the very heart of God. When Isaiah's prophecy spoke of Israel as a vineyard which yielded wild grapes, the word wild uh, can also be seen as the word worthless. Now, we're going to hear the word worthless a, a few times tonight. Um, and that when Jeremiah spoke of it being a wild vine, uh, the, the words for wild was foreign, alien, and adulterous to him. 
So also it was seen symbolically as a religious body of people which merely pretends to bear fruit, but are in fact fruitless. With Israel's history of bearing fruit that was wild, foreign, and alien to the very nature of God, um, Jesus is seen as the true vine that is... um, that was one with the Father, that was intimate with, his, uh, intimate with the desires of his heart, obedience, holy, and also a witness to God the Father, carried the Father's DNA. Now, I'm not sure if everyone else picked up on the like super repetitive Romain me uh, that Jesus was seriously making a point. And he, he says it 12 times. And so there's this real emphasis of remain in me as I remain in you. And this is like the father who desired um, intimacy and obedience with the nation of Israel. So does Jesus desire the same thing with his disciples of then and even of today. The comparison with the vine and its branches indicates an organic union and a relation of complete dependence. What does it mean to remain in Jesus? The disciples and us, ourselves, we actually have to make an active decision to remain in him. This is a choice we have to make as followers. Remaining is not simply believing in him, though this is absolutely crucial, but it actually includes being in union with him, one with him, sharing his thoughts, his heart, his intentions, and his power. Like any relationship, both people must be engaged. Jesus takes the initiative and he provides the means and the ability to be in the union, but it actually cannot happen without the response of the disciples. As branches and as disciples, our very life depends on the relationship with Jesus, and it will actually have an effect on the fruit that we produce. In verse 4 it says, For a branch cannot produce fruit of itself and is severed from the vine. He says, you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. And this is what the pruning and the purifying is for when he talks about it in verse 2. When he says, um, he cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. And so our part, what is our part to this? Our part is to remain in him, to make the decision to remain in him but also to submit to the pruning process, to the process of being cleansed by him and being cared by him. Jesus was the ultimate picture of being one with the Father. He was dependent and obedient to him and his will. Jesus would often say things um, like, I can do nothing apart from the Father. I only do my Father's will. I... um, Sorry, I only, do, I only do my father's will and I only do what I see my father doing. And so we see that there's an absolute dependence and obedience in the father and also an intimacy. And so it's the same for us. We read in verse 3, You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Which reminds me of the verse in Ephesians 5.26 when it says about the husband that he might sanctify and cleanse his bride by the washing of water by the word. And so, again, like the wife in this picture, it's actually a decision to submit or be subject to the husband and the care of him uh, so that he can cleanse us with his word. 
And so that's why we really cannot be afraid of the words obedience or submission because there's actually just such a beautiful design when we apply ourselves to it. Something happens when intimacy and obedience go hand in hand. They become one and they become a partnership of love, trust, authority, and fruitfulness. This is the very desire of Christ, is that we will be one in a partnership of trust and love and of great fruitfulness. So intimacy and obedience are the two key ingredients for oneness and a fruitful partnership. Hence why we must remain in the vine and submit to uh, the pruning process. So just to quickly recap, how do we remain in Christ and become one? It's through intimacy and obedience. And what does this result in? This results in fruit, but not any fruit. And this is where I really want to clarify. This is the carpas fruit. Now, I don't even know if I pronounced that right, but it's spelled K-A-R-P-O-S. And it's the root word uh, for properly or figuratively, everything that is done in true partnership with Christ. Fruit like this results from two life streams, the Lord living his life through us, through ours, and to yield what is eternal. And if we remember, Israel yielded wild grapes, where as disciples in Christ, when we remain in him, we should yield what is eternal, which is very different. And again, like Israel, that yielded these, this sort of, um, these fruits, we too have the potential to still do the same thing. We can produce fruit that is alien, foreign, um, and just not the very nature and DNA of God, and can be seen as worthless. We heard the word worthless earlier, that it is worthless in his kingdom. So I just want to show you an example of this in Scripture. If we look at Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness." See, as followers of Christ, of Christ, we can actually produce fruit in the name of Jesus, but without the person of Jesus. And two key things that I really want us to pick up on this scripture is the words, I never knew you. Because this actually shows the lack of intimacy between the disciple and Jesus. We can use the reputation and the fame of Jesus to get things done, yet Jesus will have no part with it. And he will say, I never knew you. The word knew carries uh, the, the impact of, I never knew you through personal experience. In other words, you never did these things through, um, or you never did these, these acts in union with me. Secondly was, you who practice lawlessness. This shows the lack of the obedience of the disciple. The disciples that, you know, did these great acts called him Lord. Yet, 
they were practicing in their own authority. They were practicing out of their own actions, their own accord, instead of in union with Jesus. Other words for lawlessness is uncontrolled or unruly. Whereas the disciples still require submission to the vine, to be under his authority, because we, we do have this nature and this, in, this iniquity within us that wants to have its way, that wants to um, control and do, do its own thing. And I was having such an interesting conversation with some friends the other night. We went and had dinner. And um, she said to me, you know, when we are obedient or, or submitted to God, we are actually giving him the control back. And I thought that was just so on, on the head, you know, nailed it on the head. And, and that's really what it is. It's giving control to him and actually going, no, you work through me and I want to produce fruit of your DNA and how you would do it. When Jesus says, ask for what you desire and it shall be done for you, I love this because, well, kind of. It's, I've heard it so many times where it's like, you know, God says I can ask him for what I desire. And it's like, yeah, he does. But, but it's through intimacy. It's through being in a union with him. Because what happens is when we are intimate with, with God, we actually start caring about what he cares. We actually start seeing as he does. And we, um, yeah, we actually just want his heart, you know, as our own heart. And so the things we ask are actually his desires that have been put in us. And we actually want to do his will. And so when, when Jesus sees a follower that actually desires to be one with him, that is actually intimate with him, Jesus wants to entrust those with with a measure of authority, but it's the, the same measure that that disciple is willing to submit to him. And so there's this submission and authority thing. We must understand that we are the greater authority that we um, possess is the, the greater submission we have given to Jesus, if that kind of makes sense. Sorry, that wasn't said very well. Like Israel, who they were and what they produced as a people in this time, was foreign and alien to the nature of God, and it can still happen today. Christians and us, we can call Jesus Lord, yet give him no authority over our lives and have no real relationship with him, and therefore that produces the wild and foreign fruit. Representing a God that they've actually made in their own image, instead of the holy God that made them in his wonderful image. And as we know in the Word and through recent messages, um, there is a judgment seat that waits for all of us. And it's, it's the judgment seat that will hold us accountable to how we conducted our lives on earth. And it will look at the fruit that we produced. In verse 6 it says, Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. If we look at 1 Corinthians 3.13, it says, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. 
although it's tremendously uh, serious with eternal ramifications, the judgment seat of Christ is not a place or a time where God's going to mete out punishment for the children of God, um, sins that have been committed, but it, it is, and it's not going to determine salvation. I really want to make this clear tonight. Um, because that has been determined by Christ's sacrifice and his blood and by the faith of the believer in him. But rather, the judgment seat is a place where rewards will be given or lost, depending on how one has conducted their lives. And so our works and our fruits will go through a fire, and the judgment will be on what was done in Jesus and through Jesus, or what was done through flesh or self will be burnt up and we'll be rewarded accordingly. And when I say flesh, I was just looking at what, what, it, what the word means. It was making decisions or actions according to self, done apart from faith. Uh, flesh generally relates to unaided human effort, and it also originates from self or is empowered by self. And finally, it proceeds out of the untouched, unchanged part of us, Basically, the parts of us that, has, that was not transformed by God, which just shows how important it is to be pruned by him and to keep submitting ourselves to his nature and to his heart. Later, Paul tells us in the letter to Corinthians, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive things done in his body according to that he has done, whether it be good or bad. And I had to ask myself, like, I wonder what good and bad is, you know? Like, we can look at things and be like, is that good? Is that bad? I mean, those disciples, are prophes- we prophesied in your name, you know, we cast out demons. It's like, you look at them and you're like, that's good work, right? That's, you know, how could that not have been good? But if we, if we look at the, the Greek word for bad, um, it's the word phalos, P-H-A-U-L-O-S. And the strongest dictionary for this is um, easy, slight, ordinary, mean, and here we go, worthless, and of no account. The word good for good works means it originates from God and is empowered by him in their life through faith. Interesting, because flesh we know is empowered by self, and it's from self. So we clearly see that God desires fruit that has actually been produced in union with him through intimacy and through obedience. Worthless and wild foreign fruit is fruit that has actually come from self and the parts of us, the flesh that hasn't been transformed by him. The nation of Israel was to be a witness to the nations but lacked intimacy and obedience to God. Just as, um, just as disciples are called to witness and disciple nations, we must do this in union with Jesus, our true vine. And this is the essence of discipleship. It's to know him intim- intim- intimately and then to witness him to others, uh, to the world and to each other. But, but we, it's to witness the nature of him. Because if we... If, if we are not abiding in him, if we're not remaining in him, and we're not getting to know him in a deep and intimate way, and we're not listening out for him, we actually produce things that reflect us. And so our fruit is 
worthless <laughs> in the kingdom. And we're, we're actually representing and displaying ourselves instead of the king. How do we glorify God? By displaying him only by being in him. And so here's where it gets fun. And I've called this part the wine. And this is where we get <laughs> the wine uh, from the vine. Um, so God, he spoke of Israel having this worthless fruit. And he also spoke about the disciples, the false disciples that um, produced worthless works um, in the kingdom. And so I want us to know that this is not just about producing good works on earth, just so that we can be judged. And I always say this, but judgment, I know it can be scary, but it's actually to save us, and it's actually to love us, and to bring us into a fuller picture, uh, a fuller, um, what's a better word for that, a fuller alignment of what he actually has in store for us. And so the words of warning and the words of judgment is always the best, you know, for the best of us. And um, I've lost my place. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that there's a greater purpose and that he wants the best for us, that we may receive our inheritance and our prize, but also that our joy may be full. You know, I believe now that when he showed me that picture, when I first gave my heart to him, it was to, to, Give me a wake-up call right in my early days with him to go, you know what? I don't want you missing out on this. I don't want you missing out on all that I have for you. I don't want you to miss out on, on how much you can obtain of me in you. And um, he's just wonderful, and I thank him so much for that. Um, and, I, yeah, it's a desire to pursue all of him through intimacy and obedience because I don't want to miss out. And, you know, um, Greg said this morning, he was like, that the whole regret thing, to me, these days, like the regret of missing out on what God had for me or what he was doing and saying and that I missed it, is really unbearable. It's, it's the worst thing for me. I never want to be before him and seeing what I missed out on. So this word is for greater preparation, for a greater purpose. The wine of the vine is that our joy may be complete when we are reunited with him as one, ready to rule in his kingdom for eternity. If we look at verse 11 in John 15, these things I've spoken to you, that my, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is a joy that we can actually possess today. And it lives in us because he lives in us and we live in him. But it's also a future joy that he promises will be complete. And we have to ask what that means. What does that mean? And I just want to tell you a really quick story. Um, And I apologize to to the youth of Fight. Uh, They have heard this before. But to me, it was was just a moment of him teaching me this, this very lesson. Um, I, I went to one of the grocery stores uh, one night, and I'm, I'm just in conversation with him, and I'm, I've got my trolley, and I had to get a few things, and I'm just talking to him about all sorts of things, and uh, <laughs> it's really funny when I look back, and anyway, I was coming down the, this one aisle, I needed toilet paper, and uh, so I was going down the toilet paper aisle, and the, the youth laugh all the time when I say this, and the Holy Spirit came upon me in the toilet aisle. 
And, <laughs> and it, it was this literal, like, I felt like he came and clothed me, like I was absolutely in him. And I'm like, whew, what's this, you know? And, and, and then I felt him, like, it felt like he exchanged my heart for his. And I was just like, this is, this is great, you know? <laughs> I can hang out here for a while. Um, but then there was a woman that I saw further down the aisle. And I kind of saw her, and it's like my spirit just beelined for her. I don't know what it was. I couldn't really see that far, to be honest. My eyes aren't that great far. Um, but God said to me, I want you to love on her. I want you to love on her. And I said, okay, obedience. Listen, receive his heart, and go. And so um, I'm walking, and, and now my heart's fluttering because, you know, he wants me to love on her. I don't know anything about her. You know, she's hanging out by the toilet aisle, you know, doing this stuff. Anyway, so... Um, gets really awkward. I've got the trolley and I'm sort of hanging around and say this is her and I'm kind of like trying to make conversation and and <laughs> the worst conversation started. I, I think I ended up asking her if there were any specials on toilet paper. And um, I know, I like, I'm like, God, I just want to die right now. <laughs> but um, anyway, we just started having this really cool conversation and she just really opened up to me about her life. Um, I had some sunflowers in my hand that I actually had bought for someone else just to cheer them up for the day. And she said to me, oh, you know, I grow sunflowers and I love doing that and I garden on my day off. And I was like, that's cool, you know, that's really cool. Um, but while she was talking, I realized that she had a cap on um, and that she was obviously having chemotherapy because she had no hair and her eyebrows, you know, weren't there. I can, yeah, I've... Um, you just pick up on that, don't you? And so I was like, okay. Um, God didn't tell me that woman over there, you need to go heal her. I didn't know she had cancer until I was way up. It was love on her. And so while I'm talking to her, I notice this and I'm like, hey God, you know, uh, what is this? And she said to me, oh, you know, who are the sunflowers for? And I said, oh, it's for a friend who's having a hard time. Um, and all I can do is just give her something small, and I thought, here's my chance, and pray for her. <laughs> and so she, um, she was like, that's really nice. And then I was just like, okay, is, is there anything I could pray for you today? And she looked at me, and she said, can you pray that? <clears throat> oh, sorry. Can you pray that I have my health until I'm 65? And I was like, sure. <laughs> and so just just right there, I um, put my hand on her arm and I just said, Lord, I just release your love, your joy, and your power and um, just command healing in her body. She didn't tell me she had cancer, but I, could, I knew. But she did say she, she wanted her health. And so that's what I prayed for. And I walked away, and I can't tell you the joy that there was in me. And it was like, Jesus, thank you that you gave me your heart for her. Thank you that you completely covered me, and I was in you in that moment. The, it, wasn't, it wasn't even a joy of being obedient. It was a joy of having absolute intimacy with Jesus, the lover of my soul. And... 
that moment of joy, I knew he had, he had just given me a glimpse of what it's going to be like to be with him for eternity and to rule with him for eternity. And that today we have opportunities to rule with him through intimacy and obedience. It's not about going around and going, okay, who's got cancer that I need to pray for? Who's got a broken leg that I should be doing this for? It's not about that. It's, it's really about having his heart, hearing his voice, and moving on that. And that's what he wants. It's just, it's the union. It's the relationship. It's being one. So I thank him for that. It made me closer to him, that I experienced him. And there's that thing. It's like, I never knew you. I never, you never experienced me. You were never in partnership with me. In this moment, I knew that I had just partnered with Christ, that I was one with him, and that he supplied that. I didn't have to make that happen. I love that he does that. He provides everything. He's like, have a relationship with me and I'll do all the work. All you have to do is trust me. (laughs) I'm like, sure, that's easy. Well, it's not actually easy. (laughs) It's not easy. But it's worth it. And I just want to finish here. If we can go to Matthew 26, 26 to 30. And we read where Jesus institutes the Last Supper or the Lord's Supper. And he's with his disciples, the men that he had walked with uh, for ages or for a couple of years, and he knows he's about to lay his life down for them. And in verse 26, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many uh, for the remission of sins. What was happening here? I I didn't actually know about this until, I don't know, the last year or so, where we've been walking, um, you know, as a family, the rock, into the purpose of the bride. And so I just want to open this up. We know that the supper was to celebrate Passover, and that was when the Israelites were released uh, from Egypt. And one of the final events of this was to slaughter a lamb and put the blood over the doors. And uh, this was to protect the houses from death. And so it was actually a decision of the people of whether, by faith, they would believe that this blood would cover it, Um, And some chose to do it, and some didn't, and those who didn't died. Um, And so when celebrating the Passover, there were four cups, and the third cup was the redeeming wine. And this wine represents two things, blood and joy. When Jesus took the cup, and when he said to them, drink of it, all of you, he was talking to the disciples, and he was talking about his, his blood and the wine. He knew he was about to be the slaughtered lamb and that he was going to lay his life down. But who was he laying his life down for? It was for the disciples and for his bride. In Jewish marriage traditions, the groom would give a cup of wine to his chosen bride as a proposal. He would ask her to drink of the cup. And if she accepted, she was then betrothed to him. So, Yes, yeah, so she takes the sip and she says, 
yep, I will marry you. Then the groom would go away and he would prepare a room for him and his bride in his father's house. He would then return for her and the bride would be waiting, ready for him. And for the bride and groom, while being apart as he went away to his father's house, their joy would not be full or complete until they were together again. It's interesting, isn't it? In Revelation, we have heard about the fine linen, the bride being dressed in fine linen. And the fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Righteous acts, we can think of works and fruits. And so it's the reward of the bride that she is wearing, the fine linen. And we know that the rewards are works that are produced from intimacy and obedience. Finally, when the groomsmen and the bride are together on their wedding day, they will both drink of this cup of wine before they start their life together as one. And so um, when he proposes, the, the, the engaged bride has a sip. He doesn't have it. They, they go their separate ways. He goes and prepares a room in his father's house. Uh, she starts preparing as a bride, and when they finally come back together, they drink of the same cup on their wedding day when they say, I do. I just want to end with verse 29, when Jesus is at the Last Supper with his disciples. He says, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Isn't that just stunning? Just absolutely stunning that Jesus is waiting. He's actually looking for the bride that is preparing herself, that is doing works through him and in him, that is preparing herself with the fine linen, the garments, the the things that have been done uh, that are righteous, that are before him, and that he's actually coming back for her, and that together they can drink of the same wine. And that just blows your mind of what communion is, it's, doesn't it? It's like right now we are all waiting for our groom to come back and we are going to drink of the same cup. And when we do, our joy is finally going to be made full. That wine that is going to come from remaining in him, the crushing of the grapes, the things we have to go through, that the wine that is going to come through is going to be the fullness of being with him, of having our groom, the prize. Isn't that amazing? Revelation 19.8.9 Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. The word joy is to attain the blessedness at the right hand of God in heaven. And we all know where that is. That's where Jesus is. Our King Jesus wants to reign with his bride, with his bride that was faithful to him, his heart, his desires, while she was on earth and while he was away preparing a place. As his disciples and his bride, we will drink with him from the same cup and our joy will be complete. 
and together as a partnership of love and trust, we will rule together as one. So yes, fruitfulness as a disciple is absolutely important. Why? Because it will testify him to the world and to others and even to each other. But it's also, and we can't miss this out, it's also to prepare us for a partnership that has been um, nurtured with love and trust for a partnership in eternity, for today and eternity, sorry. And so how do we do this? We remain in him through intimacy and obedience. So I'm just going to end there, and then I'm just going to pray. So thank you for listening.